This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mintz. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this court. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Minns. In this episode, The Wigs discuss a new decision of the District Court of New South Wales. Reeves versus the State of New South Wales 2023 New South Wales DC 196. The plaintiff, Mr. Reeves, sued the State of New South Wales for malicious prosecution and false imprisonment following the dismissal of a stalking charge against him. While he failed to prove the prosecution was malicious or that his arrest had been unlawful, he did succeed with the relatively novel claim of false imprisonment. Judge Abbott found that the actions of the police in transferring him into a police interview room in circumstances where he had expressly declined to be interviewed led to a false imprisonment for the period of the unwanted interview. The Whigs draw on their experience in litigating issues of unlawful arrest, false imprisonment and unwanted police interviews to analyse the case and related issues. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with The Whigs. It's uh, it's the best show on podcast land, I believe. I mean, I never listened to it, but I've heard it's fantastic. Manuel Kokosharian. I do Jim. listen to it. I'm Hello. sorry. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. How are it's you? It's good to have you here. It's good to be here. Busy man. Yep, as ever. As ever, but you take time out of your schedule to participate in the Mainly show. to see you. I like that excuse. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I like seeing you too. Thank you. You're a good man. Gorgeous. Felicity, uh, Stephen Lawrence. Hey, show. Mate. But I want to know why I got the point. <laughs> It's you don't, hard you don't to get him outside of the wigs, isn't it? It is. Like yeah, social engagements and stuff? I will not yeah. be there. I came to your speech, you but did. then I ducked off. That was appreciated. You left yeah. early. But I apologise for that. Uh, you well? Well, mate. Yeah, really well. A little bit tired. Was on the 6.30 from Dubbo this morning. Yeah, right. How's your new career? Just briefly. Very briefly. <laughs> yeah, look, it doesn't really lend That'll itself do. to a brief discussion. So <laughs> I, I decline respectfully. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Felicity Graham. Jim Mins. How are you going? I'm not going to trivialise my new job. Well, sorry, really hang on. Well. Sorry, you're out of order there, Mr. Lawrence. We're talking to the Felicity. Honourable. The Honourable. Uh, you. Sorry, do you have more to add? Not really. Okay. Felicity Graham. I just like interrupting Felicity. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. beep. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Philippa. Hey, have we noticed that I've been scaling back on the swearing? Not no. really. No. <laughs> No. Well, no. I feel like I've taken Self a conscious Self-praise is habit. no praise. Mm. Okay. Felicity Graham, <laughs> the floor is yours. Great to be here. Let's let's roll on. Are, are, you, are you well? I'm well. Good. Let's do it. Okay. I appreciate that. All right. Let's get on with it. Um, what are we talking about? Manuel Kirkasharian's got the floor. Sir? Yeah. Enlighten us. Benjamin Reeves in the state of New South Wales 2023, New South Wales District Court. Mm. Uh, one nine six. Mm, important. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you read it backwards. I have no idea. Uh Benjamin Reeves was born in England. He received his education and started his career in that country. He was a chartered accountant. He worked at Deloitte's. Um, He shifted to HR. He worked in HR at Deloitte's for 11 years. Then he worked at a law firm. I think it was Phillips Fox. He worked at KPMG. He worked at Arthur Anderson. He joined in 2006 the Australian Association of Graduate Employers. He became the chief executive officer of that organisation. At about 6.35pm on the 22nd of October 2020, Mr Reeves was walking down Miller Street in North Sydney 
That's on the other side of the bridge for the people who live. Never heard of it. I used to work on Miller Street. What a boring part of the world. But anyway, go ahead. It's Isn't that just near the Harbour Bridge? Yeah. It's nice. It's getting better. Is what it is good? Because it I've used to be so boring. You can you fly over it sometimes. It's like uh, a film set. It looks flying good. from Dubbo. The yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. Okay, we digress. At that point, he'd lived in McMahon's Point, which is near North Sydney, for those of you who don't know, um, for about 19 years. Heard uh, of it. He, as I say, had been working in those jobs. Anyway, at about 6.35, he was arrested. Mm. And he was arrested and he was told that he was being arrested for stalking. Um, He was taken to the police station. He was offered a phone call to the lawyer, which he took up. And then he said, I don't want to participate in an interview. Um, And despite saying he didn't want to participate in the interview... He was let out of the dock, the cell, and walked, without knowing where he was going, to an interview room. When he got to the interview room, he again said he didn't want to participate, but the detective sergeant who arrested him asserted that he had a, quote, common law right to interview him. Sounds like a sovereign citizen line. (laughs) (laughs) On the other side, Um, (laughs) a badge holding sovereign citizen. I'm asserting my common law right to not do whatever you want me to do. I'm an officer not of this crown. (laughs) I'm asserting my common law right to do what I want to do. (laughs) Well, yes, he's right, isn't he? Anyway, so after some introductory questions, um, he again said, you know, I don't want to do this, um, invoked his right to silence. Uh, But anyway, the sergeant... Mikhailson, Detective Sergeant Mikhailson, continued questioning with the interview for about 20 minutes. Asking him what? Well, just basically putting the allegation to him, asking him the questions and that kind of thing. And Reeves essentially stayed quiet until the end of that interview. Which is very hard for people to do. Smart man. Well done, Mr. Reeves. It's very hard. Well, you know, he's quite an educated man. So anyway, he is ultimately released on bail. It included he couldn't enter certain streets around his house and so on um, and charged with stalking. And the stalking charge was heard at the Downing Centre on the 17th of May 2021 when Barco, he's on a magistrate, Barco dismissed the charges. He also ordered that the prosecutor pay Reeves' professional costs, which is an unusual event mm. in the local court. You don't, it's not like costs follow the event in criminal cases. Mm. Um, there's some hurdles that have to be overcome. Basically, it's got to, you've got to have a pretty rubbish basis to bring the charge so or various other things. The judge was particularly disgusted about something. Well, the magistrate just thought, you know, I, I actually haven't read into the details of why the magistrate gave costs, but basically on the basis that they shouldn't have brought the prosecution, mm. right? Um, in April 2022, Reeves commenced against New South Wales. So... The reason he commences against the state and not the police officer is because there's a vicarious liability provision where the state basically can be sued when cops do something wrong, right? And I can I pause there to say I think this is a problem. Um, it's one thing for the state to pay legal expenses of police officers when they're defending. I think that they should do that. Um but there's no principled reason to my mind why a police officer who has in fact committed a tort and is found to have committed a court should have their liability funded by the state. Now, it is appropriate for the state to pay the damages, but then they should be recovering it against those police officers. 
I mean, it, it, we're talking about people who are charged to uphold the law. If they break it, they shouldn't be in any different position to the rest of us. Presumably, they no, should they be out do. with it. Yeah, there should be misconduct against them in a professional sense well, at, at about the same time. I mean, yes, mm. but also, why shouldn't they go broke mm. or have to pay insurance for that risk? Mm. The re- I don't know what the numbers are. I, th- I think about a few years back, we've, there was some reporting that something like thirty-one million dollars in payouts for police misconduct that comes out of this state in a year, right? 31 million bucks. Now, I don't know what the budget of, of the ALS is, but it's probably no more than double that. And this Sorry, is, bit- is that all Steve Boland cases? Probably. Or, or all cases? None of them. <laughs> it's funny. It's, like, it's almost like a veil, like a, like a statutory veil or something, you know? Like, it's interesting, isn't well, it? Yeah. The vast majority, well, I actually don't know this, but my suspicion is that the majority of them are settled and mm. are never disclosed, and the government just pays for the ongoing misconduct of particular police officers. Just to put the opposing view on that, I mean, I know as a general proposition, if you engage in misconduct, let alone serious, tortious conduct, that you should be liable for it. And shielding them from liability can have a deleterious effect in terms of not incentivizing good conduct. But I think when you're talking about an organisation where the members have to routinely use force and use coercive powers, that isn't there just a really inevitably significant rate of misuse of those powers such that it is proper to indemnify them effectively? I think that I think the courts bend over backwards, and I think probably correctly. I really hesitate to say, but probably correctly, to protect police from findings of torturous misconduct. Like, you've really got to be pretty egregious, mm, in my experience, right. to have a finding against you. Yeah. And so that if we're, if that's the reality, and these are the people who said it, these are the people who said it, these are the ones where the findings are made, I don't think they should be shielded. I think, you know, you've got – there's a whole manner of inbuilt protections – it's the specific suspicions, for example, we'll get to this when we're talking about this case. The judge relies on the suspicions of and the experience of the officer to say, well, he had a right to arrest him because, you know, we, I trust the judgment of a police officer. I'm not going to question that. So if you've got all those protections in place, the minute you take a step beyond those, mm. I think it's I think you've got to pay. Because there's a lot of deference to police decision-making built into our system, isn't there? So when you can show that they've gone outside the bounds of appropriate decision-making. Yeah. So what was the tort said to have been committed here? So there's a whole bunch of them. Um, Whole bunch. And I'm not going to – there's so many, in fact, that I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, There was an allegation that, in effect, Section 99 of LEPRA – which we've discussed, I think, in Season 1, Episode 5. I think we discussed um, Section 99 of LEPRA, which is the power to arrest. Um, without it, a warrant. Without a warrant. Um, there was an issue as to whether or not the there was a suspicion on reasonable grounds held by the detective uh, that he had, in fact, committed an offence. There was a question about whether or not it was reasonably necessary to arrest him. Um, there was a question about the... There's various questions about the legality of his detention and arrest, including 
specifically whether the transfer from the holding cell to the interview room and being kept in the interview room, whether that specific time amounted to to a separate act of false mm. imprisonment. Mm. So he effectively um, said, my whole period of deprivation of liberty was unlawful deprivation of liberty from yeah. arrest until release. That's right. Yeah. But also said within that... But in the alternative, yeah. if I don't get up on the whole period, this particularly specified period of when I was being held in the interview room or taken to the interview room and held in the interview room when I expressly said, I don't want to do an interview, yeah. I want to exercise my right to silence, and that was, on that basis, a false imprisonment. Which raises that whole question about residual liberty, doesn't it? Like, I remember doing this case where being taken from Wellington prison cell to an area of Wellington jail that was police controlled, where Mm. they interview suspects Mm. who were like on remand or serving terms was unlawful because there wasn't a proper order to transfer him from jail to custody. Or a proper basis to arrest someone who's in... Yeah, in that case, it was an unlawful arrest, right? Mm. But then, then this question arises about, well... Can you be deprived of liberty unlawfully when you're already detained lawfully? And the answer to that seems to be yes. Yeah. And there's immigration. There was an immigration detention case where Hamels said that someone that was incarcerated unlawfully in a jail when they would otherwise have been in immigration detention was unlawfully detained mm. because of this idea of losing a residual liberty. And the conditions of your confinement can give rise to a false different. imprisonment. Like in immigration detention, you can use a phone and you can... Mm walk about and sort of be relatively free. But in this case, what's the difference, right? Jail or sort of cell in the police station or an interview room, what's the difference in terms of the quality of deprivation of liberty? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the question. I mean, the the answer is that he had a right not to be interviewed. Well, it's not that he has a right not to be interviewed. It's just that it's a different quality of incarceration. Mm. Harassment or something like that. Well, it's, not, yeah, it's, not, yeah, I mean, it's more onerous, isn't it, to be questioned by a copper yeah. and have to sort of maintain silence and yeah. stuff. Yeah, You're also being video recorded, which is the coercive effect of this practice, right? Because what happens in practice is you're taken into the interview room, you sat there, you read your rights again, which include you've got the right, the right to remain silent, anything you do or say will be recorded and can be used against you, then the tape's on at that point. And so the person knows anything I say can be used against me, but I would also suggest the person might infer anything I don't say. Like if I sit here silent, is that going to be played in court? Mm. Mm. And they don't actually say you have a right to silence. No, That's not the term of the, the, no. of the caution. You do not have to say or do anything. Anything you do or say will be recorded and can be used, and can be used in court. That's why I think it's confusing, that caution. So what the judge says in terms of the reasoning is that LEPRA Part 9 is, basically provides for extensions to detention periods. And it does not... It, the extension, once he'd said, I don't want to be interviewed... It shouldn't mm. have been extended further. It shouldn't have been extended that further. Makes right. sense. And that's, and yeah. so that, and that's yeah. why that aspect of... So the, it's not residual liberty, in fact. It's just yeah. Extend, an, an extension of detention. the investigation uh, period okay. that wasn't mm. actually permitted. Yeah. Mm. And so the, and subsequently there was permitted periods, but that part wasn't permitted. It was an unlawful extension, basically, of yeah. detention. And otherwise it should have just been some other kind of waiting time which would have counted towards the time... Well, 
Yeah. Well, he might have been released was, earlier. That's basically. right. Yeah. 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 He would have been released earlier, right? Because they would have concluded their process. They would have earlier, processed him presumably. faster. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it, it's really quite interesting. If, and I was looking at this in the context of appearing before LEC, the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission recently, which is actually going to put out, I think, in a few months or maybe a little bit longer, a report on, on questioning people after they've said they don't want to be questioned. And if you look at Part 9... It only permits the extension of detention for the purposes of engaging in investigative procedures as well as wait time. Once you have indicated that you do not want to be interviewed and you've been fingerprinted and you've been forensic procedured, if that arises in mm. your matter, there's very few investigative procedures in the ordinary cause, in the ordinary... Yeah. Like it's a murder and they've got to go and get... You know, there's sure, but Line the average matter, yeah. there's very, very few. What are they waiting for? What are they waiting mm. for? And it includes, in fact, you can't wait for a support person. So you can wait for a support person if there's an investigative procedure to do. But they've cancelled the interview. Said, interview. If, you've if you've said, I'm not going to be interviewed, yeah. you can't hang around waiting for mm. a support person mm. because no there's interview. no need. Mm. Right? And yeah. So these things are so often overlooked... Mm. Um. Anyway, so that was the only and spoiler alert. That, that's the only one he gets up on. Mm. Um, he also alleges that there was uh, malicious prosecution and so on. He loses that. Um, so I'll just go very quickly through sort of the key bits. the The allegation whether it was reasonable to suspect he'd committed an offence. Um, the offence being stalking. The offence of stalking is a complicated offence. It's in the Crimes, Domestic Violence and per- sorry, Crimes, Domestic and Personal Violence Act. Um, it's more commonly referred to as the stalking intimidate charge. It's often incorrectly charged as stalking mm. intimidate. That charge is, in my view, duplicitous. Totally. Um, I've run that and had the police back down before I had to get a ruling on it. Um, Anyway, they, in this case, it was stalking. In short, the allegation was that he approached her a few times. He'd been around places where she was. Um, his Honour had judged that the evidence was there enough to drown the suspicion, both in, in fact that the cop had the suspicion and he had a reasonable basis to have it. His account was, I don't want to, I don't want to misstate it, but it was basically, you know, he was being friendly mm-hmm. to this girl and she was a bit freaked out by it, you know. Um Reasonable minds can differ, but I think, um, you know, his honour found that the, the, the officer did in fact have that suspicion um, and it wasn't unreasonable. So the next issue was having had that suspicion, was it reasonably necessary to arrest? And again, this is we discussed this, I think, in some detail in Season 1, Episode 5. Um, section 991B of LEPRA basically requires that sets out sort of a number of basis for which it is reasonably necessary to arrest. Um, there's a whole list of them. Uh, in this case, the arresting officer had considered alternatives to arrest. That was the evidence they gave. He thought that it was necessary to stop the stalking and that it was necessary that bail be in place to stop the stalking. It was put both to the officer and to the court that a provisional AVO would have been enough. Um, yeah. Which is interesting, right? Well, I mean, I, you know, what's the what's the what's point? The difference? What's the difference mm. between an AVO and and the um, and there was no 
I think it was clear that there was no immediate threat. So it's not like he was arrested in the course of an act of stalking. Can you make the AVO on the spot? Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why a, a senior officer can't make the AVO on the spot and serve it, right? Um, the judge decided in this context to give deference to the experience of the officer yeah. who thought, look, it's better to arrest. And I get that. I mean, it's interesting because in, arrest is different to being served in the AVO. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Whether or not that's a reasonable basis to do it, like – I'm going to scare the living daylights out of this guy so he stops stalking by arresting Salutary effective arrest, yeah. On the one hand, that kind of tickles my you shouldn't be arresting people for that reason, but on the other hand, maybe it's a real Mm. thing, you know, and so... I think as soon as you're arguing that some lesser form would have satisfied, you've kind of likely lost, right? Because they'll defer to the copper's state of mind in the context of like kind of... It's almost a reasonableness issue, isn't it? Yeah. You know? I mean, it is. That's right. And mm. I think there would be – I mean, I've got matters where police haven't arrested and they've served AVO. So I think they do exercise judgment in that way. Yeah. And they – you know, there's also this – they don't want – they want to lessen their workload. You're not going to go around arresting somebody, you hope, if you can avoid it. So. I don't know. My experience is that arrest is often used for – domestic violence type allegations in circumstances where the gravity of the allegation and the other circumstances that pertain, for example, whether the people live together or not, um, that that arrest is overused. And I think it sometimes comes from a misunderstanding by officers about internal directives about use of arrest in that type of scenario. Yeah. yeah. I, There's I a mixed bag. There's obviously a lot of arrests that go on across the state for this type of behaviour. So there's there's a spectrum. But mm. I, I think you do see it being overused. You do see discretion being used sometimes not to arrest. But It was certainly true in when I worked at the Aboriginal Legal Service. I think there was overuse back in, out in Wilcannia Way mm. in particular, but also in Broken Hill. Um, I don't think it's just confined to out west, though, yeah. from my experience. Can I say this case, to me, really highlighted the role of the custody manager at the police station um, in relation to someone who's under arrest as a suspect? Because in this case, the... Mr. Reeves was given an opportunity to speak to a lawyer. He rang a lawyer. He spoke to that lawyer who told him about his right to silence. And then as a result of that, Mr. Reeves told the custody manager that he didn't want to participate in an interview. Mm. But roll on, the two investigating officers then just take him into the interview room. Mm. And I think you see that kind of scenario happen quite frequently. Mm. And you see... I mean, I've seen it a lot in Aboriginal legal service type cases, particularly because the custody notification scheme that the ALS runs means that they have a document or at least um, at least a document, if not an email, um, following on from the document um, that's filled out for every person, every Aboriginal person that's detained in a police station and then speaks to a lawyer or in respect of whom their custody is reported to the ALS. 
And that form that the ALS uses includes, you know, the advice that was given, what the instructions were, which invariably is, I want to exercise my right to silence, and includes, do you want me to tell the custody manager that? Yes, and I've done that. I'm the solicitor. I've told the custody manager they don't want to do an interview. They don't want to go into an interview room. And then you get the brief of evidence and they've been taken into the interview room. Um, And I think there's a... Normally with the police saying on the interview uh, tape recording, I know you don't want to do an interview, but I'm going to put the allegations to you out of fairness. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the subject of a law enforcement conduct commission inquiry Mm. right now. It'd be very interesting to see what... Mm. What they come up with. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there's this... The custody manager has this important role, particularly in respect of vulnerable persons which is legislated for that yeah, they... To safeguard their rights. That's right. Yeah. The custody I'm, manager I'm for a detained person or protected suspect who's a vulnerable person must, as far as practicable, assist the person in exercising the person's rights under Part 9, etc. Um, but I, you don't see that the performance of that function readily emerge I've never breaks. seen a case where they've... The custody manager, that is done something that has the effect of advancing the interests of the detained person against the interests of the investigator. I agree with that. I've never I've seen never a case seen like it. that. Maybe that maybe it happens all the time. Maybe in cases that we don't see, but I've never seen that. I think Well you ne- you certainly never see it in circumstances where the person pleads not guilty and you get a brief. No, and I've seen acquiescence to improper conduct or conduct in breach of the rules in Lepra on many, many, many occasions. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the fact that there is a role that exists of that kind is the protection that you get, yeah. right? You you get somebody who may well acquiesce on every occasion, but at least there's a, there's mm-hmm. the, the distance between the arresting investigating officer and the custody manager means that there's some records created that might give you a suggestion that you can rely on that something's better. That's right, and the existence right? of the role is a protection too, right? Because That's the custody right. manager does inspect the person on regular intervals. They explain the caution to the person. They assist with contacting consular authorities if they're a foreign national. They facilitate phone calls to family, friends and legal representatives. All of that happens. And I wasn't suggesting it doesn't. What I was suggesting is when there's impropriety that occurs, I've never seen the custody manager act in a way that conflicts with the investigator's actions to advance interests well, of, the, would, of the detained person. If, no, if the custody manager see... did that, then you'd hope that it'd be the end of it. And there, so wouldn't, it's, uh, and yeah. there wouldn't be the egregious conduct that you're criticising. So yeah. the only ones that you're going to see are the ones well, where they, they haven't, haven't stepped it. in, right? So you yeah. don't, we, don't, well, we really don't know. That but you never you see, see a brief briefs, that right. says, um, I'm the custody manager. I said no. This person said they didn't want to do an interview, so I told the investigators he doesn't want to do an interview and I Go left away. him in his cell. You never see that. No, but, but I'm saying you wouldn't, though. Why but, wouldn't you? Because, because they might not record it. Because why would you record it? The, 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 the OIC comes in and says, is he going to do an interview? He says no, and he walks out. Yeah, that's true. They, right? I suppose and in that instance it wouldn't be recorded. Probably happens every day. Yeah. yeah. It's right? interesting, isn't it? It'd be interesting to get a police officer on to talk about this. Yeah. I think, I think and I, it'll be interesting when I think we should do it, the, the leak report when yeah, it comes out. Yeah, that would be fascinating. That, it, it, oh, yeah, I've sat through some of the inquiries. It's f- absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think there is a lot of acquiescence by the custody managers. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of their roles. 
and a reluctance to push back, particularly against more senior officers. I mean, you'd hope that the custody management is a rather senior sergeant. Is it meant to be a sergeant or above? No. Well, I don't or know senior what it's constable. meant to be. If there's something in Lepra regs about this. I it's think. meant to be senior, but in practice, it's not always it's in practice, not. definitely. In, right? yeah. Part of that is, is reasonable in the sense you can't have a senior officer in every police station yeah. at all times. But, you know, what are you going to do? There's two homicide detective sergeants in there and you're some, you know, senior constable in charge of their yeah. child. Good luck. I mean, you can have an inspector, a detective inspector doing an interview. Yeah, exactly, you know? right? Yeah. So... Yeah. My my take is the custody manager is better than nothing. Better than nothing. Yeah. And they probably need, and there will be, I think, coming out elect some pretty good recommendations and hopefully some minor changes in the law. Um, but anyway, as it turns out, this uh, Mr. Reeves is entitled to damages. How much? Taken, well, it hasn't been determined yet. Uh, it be interesting to see. Won't be much if it's half an hour interview. 20 minutes, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, what's the word? It's an intentional tort, so damages sound without proof of damage. Yeah. Um, and he, he lost all the other grounds. So he lost all the other be, grounds. Costs will be way more than any damages. Well, mate, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's appropriate to costs. defer consideration of costs until after the question of damages. So maybe they'll just cut and run. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether there'll be appeals arising out of this or not. Um, interesting. Yeah, so Good interesting case. practice uh, examined in that context, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in malicious prosecution, torts, arrests, legality of arrest, questions around all of those things... Um, actually, Judge Abadie of the District Court, who, who wrote this judgment, it's a pretty good, it's a long judgment, but it kind of canvases all of those and touches on the relevant law pretty well. So it's a good judgment to kind of go through as an introduction to all of those topics. And that's the. That's a district court judgment. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the uh, his uh, that's his tort action. That's not his arre- the uh, the dismissal of his charges. No, 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 no. This is the tort action. Okay. Yeah. I love paragraph two hundred and fifty three. After this long judgment, it may assist the patient reader these reasons to summarise my findings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many people will get to the end. Fun things. Here we go. Every three weeks we do fun things. I think it's every three weeks. Yeah. What's your fun thing, Emmanuel? Oh, no, don't start with me. <laughs> You've had three weeks, sir. You've been on three notice. Weeks. All right, come on. All right, Stephen Lawrence, you start. I've got a fun thing. Okay, well, well. Start with Felicity. Felicity Graham. I am going over to see my two little sisters oh. in Oxford and Cambridge. Mate. That's fun. And then we're going to go to Bordeaux together for a little. Wow. Beautiful. French sojourn. When are you going? Next week. Oh, are they academics there? Do you know you have prior, you have obligations to the Whigs that need to be I know. met? I know. I, All I right, we'll grant them. you this leave. Are they each studying? One at Oxford, one at Cambridge? One uh, got a PhD at Oxford and now runs a company, Dendra Systems, that uses drones to plant trees. Mm. Cool. Um, Interesting. And the other, yeah, is a physics um, physics teacher at a high school in Cambridge, having done, having studied physics. Wow, at Cambridge. Yeah, much better than Oxford. 
That's the debate <laughs> in our family. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Oxford is like an industrial backwater anyway. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be killed for saying that. Yeah. I visited there once. Lovely, lovely town. Lovely town, Oxford. Oxford Shire is wonderful. Is that the town? No. That's like the, 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 the shire. No, I went to the university and hung out. The there. university, yeah. Look, I like both. Never been to Cambridge. I don't really know the difference, I must say. But one day I'll probably work it out. You and me, we don't know. We don't mingle in this world. We don't, mate. Do we're we? just we're, 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 we're we're aliens to these people. Mm. Emmanuel, no, no. Stephen Lawrence, what's your fun thing? <laughs> We've got a new member of the family. Hey. Oh, a second flippy. dog. Flippy. Oh, second dog. Is Tyson is his name. Oh, He's no. He's two years old. Oh. He came into our lives last week. Was Flippy okay with this? No. This is oh, the I problem. Imagine. I don't yeah. know if it's fun for Flippy. Oh, so Tyson's a bit flip. bigger than Flippy. Tyson's oh, half help. Ridgeback, half Cattle Dog. He's distantly related to Flippy. Oh. He comes from the same family in Wellington. Oh, okay. And yeah, Flippy's not reacted well to it. So the guy that gave us, who gave us Tyson, Sean, I bought Flippy from his brother, Billy. Ah. But yeah, so they get along well, but Flippy constantly engages in low-level harassment. We, it can't be your fun Fair thing. Income. Can we just leave this entire discussion in? Okay. Manuel, what's your fun thing? <laughs> yes, after that. Um, I, I'm i going to say something I did on Friday night, which is I went to a restaurant in St. Leonard's. Oh, look at you. Which was called... St. Leonard's. That's Saint, Saint, that's it's on the other side of the bridge, ah, which some of you wouldn't. may have heard right, of, right, right. called Peterman. Ah. And can I say, Beautiful I, part I, of the I would normally raise going to a restaurant, and I'm not all that into fine dining, frankly, but this is the best restaurant I've ever been oh, to Oh, hang on. Whoa. Yeah. We're not plugging restaurants, man. Hey, why not? On this show. It yeah, was so it. good. In a, it was. All right. Okay. I mean, it, why, why not? Because I'd like a bit him? of quid pro quo for before we go. I would like to speak to the owner before you know that, we give them a plug. Do you know that Snoop Dogg didn't – what's the gin and – you know in the gin and juice song, he mentions a particular type of gin, right? And he didn't get – he didn't get any money for mentioning that type of gin. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 And, yeah, like, yeah. you know, international sales shoot up because he sings about it. Yeah. Anyway, I love that restaurant. I'm not – and it was fabulous and people should go. I thought you were going to say Snoop Dogg ate there and yes. didn't – No. Okay. What's it called again? Can't remember. <laughs> so that's your fun thing. Look, that's that's the definition of a fun thing right what about there. Yours? Yeah. What's your I fun thing, a, Jim? I've got an unfun thing, I'm telling you. I just, no, it's just one things. thing. Did we do the blues night last night? Yeah. Mm. I had an off night. Off night. As in good? No, bad. What's oh. going on and with it's you today last night? It's just... You're getting enough sleep? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Thank you for the kids. Too busy sir. at work? I'm busy doing everything, Stephen. Uh, busy doing everything. Uh, but hang on, hang on, hang on. You have, you think, finished your last ever assignment. Yeah, okay, there's a fun thing. Yeah, yeah, the, the foundations are all there. I've got to go over them with a fine-tooth comb. That is cool. In fact, I want to talk to all you three on the way out about a particular issue regarding them. But, yes, I won't have to write another assignment for the rest of my life, assuming my academic pursuits end there. Yeah. So, that's so when's great. your admission? Well, assuming I pass everything, mm-hmm. hopefully... April or May next year, 2024. Exciting. It'll be good. So we'll have to get Michaela to do a double-page spread yes. on that one. Like, you know, popular podcast host comes good. Mm. I know she's listening and I know she's thinking about she it. She listens so, to every episode. So she should con- contemplate 
whether or not she wants to devote a double-page spread to my admission. I'm mm. really looking forward to coming <laughs> to your admission. <laughs> Me too. Why? Why? Uh, don't, no, because it's, it's a touching thing, you mm. know. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Yes. And you'll be, you'll be annoyed that you or your efforts to dissuade me didn't follow through. I'm going to stand up and object. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fit and proper person. <laughs> All right. Look, Wiggs, well done. That's good. Good effort tonight. Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, appreciate it. It was a big it. one, wasn't it? Yeah. It was good. I think the listeners appreciate it. I think I'm going to end the show now. Right now. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please like The Wigs on Facebook at The Wigs Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This podcast was brought to you by Minimal Productions, produced by Jim Mintz.